You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. People try to put us to Talking about my generation. Just because we get around. Talking about my generation. Things ain't do look awful. Talking about my generation. I hope I die before I get old. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the 1980s Marvel comics series, The Nom. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. This time out, I'll be taking a look at issue number 6 of The Nom, which is cover dated May 1987, but came out on February 10th, 1987. And in keeping with the mission of covering the war in real time, the issue I'm looking at today takes place during July of 1966. The opening music this time out was My Generation by The Who, which had been released the prior year, actually, in the fall of 65, and is one of that group's most recognizable songs. But the reason I played that instead of something that came out in 66 was that it's actually referenced at the beginning of our issue. I'll get into more of 66 as a year in a little bit after I go over the issue, and I'll also provide the historical and other context for the issue as well. The Nom number 6 is entitled Monsoon. It was written by Doug Murray with breakdowns by Michael Golden and inks by John Beattie. Phil Felix lettered and colored. Larry Hama was the editor and your editor-in-chief was Jim Shooter. It's pouring outside while Mark Ed Marks takes a hot shower singing the Who's My Generation while Rob walks in. Ed looks outside, wonders why he should waste the time drying off when he's just going to get soaked outside on the way back to his hooch. Sure enough, he does. Not only that, he finds that his boots aren't in the best condition because they're full of green gunk. Albergo and the guys who are playing cards point out that, yeah, it's raining. And since it's monsoon season, well, it's going to keep raining. And keep raining. And keep raining. And not get any better. <laughs> Marx wonders if there's any way not to have green gunk all over his boots. The guys offer the sage advice of, well, try to get him to dry out. Ramnarain changes the subject. It notice, notes that he saw in the paper that Key, the South Vietnamese premier, wants the United States to invade the North. But Albergo says that LBJ would never, but, he, but before he can finish his sentence, he's interrupted by a mail call. Marx gets a letter saying that his grandfather is very sick and he's probably dying, which winds up being an incredibly upsetting for obvious reasons. Rob tells him that they can try to get a connection back to the world, and they head out. Later on in the bar, Ed cries in his beer over the fact that the Red Cross can't do anything for him. I think we're supposed to believe that his grandfather might even be dead at this point. They can only allow communications or travel back to the States for direct relations like a mother or father only. A a Vietnamese kid, Nguyen, comes by to sell the guys some trinkets, saying he'd been visiting family up north and brought back a lot of souvenirs. He gives Albergo a real Charlie hat, and he says he gave... He said that he gave Caucus a North Vietnamese grade, grenade, which winds up being live and goes off, injuring Sarge, who at the time it explodes, is walking into the building uh, right up the steps. The next day, a bandaged and bruised Sarge tells Rob that he'll have to take the guys out on a run by himself. Marx has a hangover, and they head into the jungle, with Marx feeling really worse for wear. And they go through a friendly village. A few clicks later, they come upon another group of locals who are very, very friendly almost too friendly. Rob sees through it, and later on, they sneak back toward the village and see that, obviously, these guys are well-armed VC. They set up an ambush and quickly begin laying waste to them. 
In the middle of the ensuing firefight, Marchese gets hit. The, the medic, who is Caucus, is hesitant to act, and when he does, he simply says, there's nothing I can do here, man. He's had it. Rob criticizes him on his bedside manner, but then he gets hit as, but then Caucus gets hit as well. Albergo tends to the wounded while the rest of them begin firing at the hidden Viet Cong. They get their man and order an evac with the two guys in very bad shape. The chopper shows up and lifts them out. Back of the hooch, Rob and Albergo talk about what happened with Kakas, who they say, well, they'll never see him again. And Marks, meanwhile, is trying to put on his boots, and it seems, well, they're still screwed up from the rain. Zinloy, them's the brakes, Albergo says. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, I'm glad that we've had different experience and aspects of the war in different contexts. It's like this first year is, in a sense, all exposition, in a way, or at least a true tour through the myriad situations the troops found themselves in during the war. The action here is pretty straightforward, as it's a simple patrol in the subsequent ambush and firefight. Rob has been worked into the overall story very well, and you can tell that he's really ingratiated himself with the other characters, especially after Top was shown the door at the end of last issue. He's also proving to be a pretty effective leader and a smart in the field, and they seem to respect him for that. I like how Murray and Golden are giving us more characters throughout the series, and it makes me hope that when characters like Marx or Albergo finish their tours, they'll be missed, but it won't take anything away from the book. That being said, I had to read this at least twice to figure out that Kakas was deliberately trying to get himself sent back home. I know it's probably pretty obvious, but it took a moment to realize that he had willingly purchased a grenade from the Vietnamese kid and was probably hoping that when it went off, he'd get hurt. Then in the field, he hesitates to help Marchese. You're supposed to be able to tell that he was losing it a little bit. Maybe he was a little more scared than, than he should have been in the battlefield. And he gets shot. And it took me a moment to realize that he wasn't dead and would probably be sent home as a result of everything. Or at least he's found his way out some way or another. Because uh, uh, the guys say they're not going to tell anybody about Caucus, probably meaning they knew what he was up to, especially when he came down with a grenade. It might be a fault in the storytelling, or it might be my not being able to just get it. I'm not really sure, to be honest. One of the disadvantages of having a rather large cast of characters who are all military is that you tend to mix a few people up from time to time. Uh, I can keep the X-Men, the Teen Titans, the Justice League, the Justice Society, the Avengers straight, because each of them has a different uniform. Superman looks different than Batman, who looks different than Hawkman, who looks different than Aquaman, and so on. But to put some of the guys in the company together here, and I have a hard time remembering if that's Marchese or Cacus or Thomas. And that's challenging for any storyteller, really. I mean, not just Marie and Golden. There are times when, you know, you you have to be able to handle... It's a skill to be able to handle a large cast and give them different personalities and, and make them be able to stand out from the reader, especially when they're, you know... They don't always get their little moment in the spotlight all the time. They're overshadowed by other characters. And there are times when Murray and Golden do this very effectively, and there, but there are other times when it's harder for the reader, or at least in, like an idiot like me. Um, this tends to be one of them. I mean, it's still a good issue. The action is punctuated. It still has the feel of a real sort of war as opposed to some sort of cartoonish movie action. There are a few comedy beats, especially when it comes to Ed having to do with those rain and his boots. But... And I wasn't underwhelmed. I was just, like I said, I, I walked away a little bit confused. And, uh, and that, that kind of took away from it. And, 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 and at this point, um, the art is suffering a little bit. Uh, 
Golden is doing layouts as opposed to full pencils, or is doing breakdowns as opposed to full pencils. And John Beatty's style uh, on some panels, it's really cartoonish, like Disney comic cartoonish or Scooby-Doo comic cartoonish as opposed to this sort of pseudo-cartoony style that Golden had been employing from the beginning. The serious uh, scenes are handled well. The cover is gorgeous with uh, the, the the guys standing in the rain waiting for a, for a chopper uh, and what have you. But again, if there's, if we, we haven't hit a complete dud yet, but it's definitely, if out of the six that I've, we've looked at so far, it's one of the weaker ones. And you wonder if, if Golden was having problems with deadlines or something like that at this point especially since most of the next issue is penciled by another person, Wayne Van Sant, and Golden would return for number eight. But still, it's an all right issue, and uh, when I get back, I'll cover the letter column, the historical context, and the ads. Yeah, 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 play it. Come on, play it loud. Play it loud. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic, foolish emotions, a constant irritant, and transparent out Two! Along the circus, <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy. True! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, shit. It's a super prize package worth $9,388. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head. Punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! Go And now... Together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. Thank God damn lucky he didn't kill him. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, let's go. God, she likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! You're gonna get a shoe. I say shut up! It's a man home! Two true freaks.com. And we're back. Now, this issue addresses monsoon season, which is part of the regular climate of Southeast Asia. Um, I went ahead and looked it up, uh, some facts about it, and this comes courtesy of the Vietnamese Embassy. Vietnam has a single rainy season during the south monsoon, May to September. Rainfall is infrequent and light during the remainder of the year. Rainfall is abundant, with an annual rainfall exceeding 1,000 millimeters almost everywhere. Annual rainfall is even higher in the hills, especially those facing the sea in the range of 2,500 millimeters. For coastal areas in the parts of the central highlands facing northeast, the season of maximum rainfall 
is during the south monsoon from September to January. These regions receive torrential rain from typhoons which move in from the South China Sea at this time of the year. The weather at this time is cloudy with frequent drizzle. During the North Monsoon, northern Vietnam has cloudy days with occasional light rain, while southern Vietnam tends to be dry and sunny. Temperatures all are high all year round for southern and central Vietnam, but north Vietnam has a definite cooler season as the North Monsoon occasionally advects cold, cold air in from China. Frost and some snow may occur on the highest mountains in the north for a few days of the year. In southern Vietnam, the lowlands are sheltered from outbreaks of colder northerly air, and the dry season is warm to hot with much sunshine. So like I said, Murray and Golden are trying to stay true to the experience by showing different aspects of the environment, and I can definitely appreciate that, because you can't have it sunny all the time. As for history in July 66, we have 31 people arrested out of 4,000 when an anti-war protest outside of the American Embassy in London gets violent, and that's on July 1st. On July 4th, North Vietnam declares a general mobilization, and it basically means they got their full army at the ready and bolstered their forces. From what I gather in reading, while there is a strong guerrilla force in the VC, and that tends to be what people think of when they think of the enemy in the Vietnam War, the NVA, or North Vietnamese Army, was a conventional fighting force and did have some power behind it, which is one of the things that made the war so difficult, because you were fighting both a conventional army on one front and a guerrilla army on the other. And uh, that's about it for the war history, although a big pop culture moment in 66 of July of 66 occurs on July 29th when Bob Dylan is injured in a motorcycle accident, something that would keep him out of the public eye for the better part of the year. Letters. Uh, letters in this issue. Uh, we have people writing in, uh, really just some of the same people uh, writing in about the same issues, number one and two still. One person writing in about how he uh, would like to see the NOM as a non-code book or on better paper, but I realize that if you alter the format of the book, you might lose your younger readers and forgo a golden opportunity to do something genuinely worthwhile in the comic medium. I think you should aim not only at entertaining your readers, but educating them about the true nature of the war. And that was from David Sherpenheisen from the Netherlands. Um, they, the editor responds, you've hit the basic problem right on the head. If we were to do the NOM as an epic-style non comics code book, it would ensure a smaller audience, probably a much smaller audience. We feel that it is important to get the NOM out to the largest number possible readership and sacrifice a little in language and realism to do it, and hopefully we'll maintain a quality realism throughout. As for the coloring, we've taken steps to correct the problems, and they will hopefully not be repeated. Um, and there were coloring issues that showed up in the first couple issues, but you know, uh, you're you're always kind of ironing out the kinks in the first few issues of a series. Uh, not everything kind of comes out, you know, gangbusters, you know, right from the get-go. Gentlemen, I salute you. You and your guys did a terrific job. You know the quote and does apply to the work I've seen in issues one and two of the NOM. Excellent, just excellent. Being in the service and having been in Vietnam, I can only say I get totally absorbed with your stories. The idea is really exciting. Maybe through the magic of Marvel, there can be finally some understanding derived from that nightmare. The concept of real time is also unique. I can see just ten years down the line when our main character thus far in the steps of the Capitol, long hair, fatigue jacket, and jeans protesting the madness that came from the NOM. I like private first-class marks, but fear for him. Enough said. I must salute Doug Murray and Mike Golden's... Mike Golden. Doug's writing is crammed full of info, not to mention wit and understanding, and Mike, your characters really are alive. All in all, I must say that your new idea is really supplying some mature and serious reading to a generation that can never grasp the full concept and horror of the NOM. Keep 
kicking ass carry on. Um, AB, me and F. Yorkman, uh, Shepherds Air Force Base, Texas. Somebody, John W. Evans Jr. Uh, from Tupelo, Mississippi, writes in and asks what the. Uh, he says, you've done an excellent job with your research and artwork, but you got one point wrong. The emblem shown on the shoulders of the men in the sides of the vehicles of the battalion is not the proper emblem. The emblem shown is the electric strawberry of the 25th, and this is the 23rd infantry. Also, the 23rd was organized September 25th, 1967 in Vietnam. I felt that you would like to hear your input from a source, uh, not just to prove you wrong, but to better the authenticity of an extremely good comic book. Uh, they respond, several people have written about the electric strawberry emblem. Please note that the 23rd Infantry was formed in Hawaii in January of 66 and shipped to the Na- to Nam at the end of that month, attached to the 25th. In September 67, the 23rd was reorganized as a separate unit and was then authorized its own unit patch, which we'll see in at that time. Thanks for the interest in the letter. I'll try to keep it going. We'll try to keep it going. Uh, we have a letter just praising the Nam, but the name of the person is Cougar Tracks. C O U Cougar T R A X X. Um, I hope that's a pseudonym. <laughs> I really hope that's a pseudonym. Um, <laughs> to be honest with you. Nom notes for this issue: <laughs> Boonies, the bush of the countryside. Uh, Charlie, the the Victor Charlie VC, the bad guys. Diddy Mao, Vietnamese for get out quick or run away. Dyke, the raised earthen area holding water in the rice paddies. Evac, short for evacuation, special choppers to pull out wounded, dead, and groups in trouble. Ham connection, a way to communicate back to the world. Base combo could sometimes connect a ham radio operator in Hawaii or elsewhere and patch through together a bunch of radio operators so they could get one close to home, then patch into radio lines or to reach a specific phone number. It was cheaper and more direct than overseas telephone. A Joe is a traditional Vietnamese uh, called Americans they didn't know by name. It's short for G.I. Joe. Clicks or kilometers, KY or Kai, was the premier of South Vietnam in 66. The monsoon is the rainy season of most of Asia and Vietnam from May through September. Number one or ten. Vietnamese American slang for something very good, number one, or something very bad, number ten. Uh, NVM, the North Vietnamese Army. RT radio telephone slicky boy a hustler con man or some Asian trying to make a quick buck sucking chest wound a wound that penetrates the lung causing the air to flow into the chest deflating the lung a very serious and often deadly Willie Peter WP white phosphorus a metal that burns in contact with any oxygen even in the oxygen in the water he was used as a strong anti-personnel weapon Zin Loy another Vietnamese phrase used for well sorry about that ads for this issue we have still the M&M's ad. Uh, we have the Free the Cat mystery. We have the kid holding the MPC model with the girls getting all happy with them. We have uh, Olympic earned prizes or cash this time um, with the creepy guy named Captain O. That's his name because at the bottom right-hand corner it says, Ask for Edith, or she or another Captain O operator is waiting to rush your name, address, and zip code to us. Captain O. And of course, you'd try to sell all this crap, and the stuff that you would get would not be anywhere near worth what you were trying to sell. We have a hodgepodge ad, a lot of different things about comic back issues buy some, you know, stop comic destruction. 
Magic, Self Defense, Charles Atlas, Super Sale, each 88 cents. Oh, this is like Surprise Package Vanishing in Garlic Bubblegum, a Phony Brick, 100 Magnets, a 1001 Insult Book, a Whoopee Cushion, Hollywood Blood Capsules, Smoke from Your Fingertips, a Hand Buzzer, an Icky Upset Stomach Mess, a Fake Dog Mess, Noisy Nose Blower, Hot Pepper Bubblegum, Snapping Gum, Nasty Candy, 25 Phony Parking Tickets, or a Venus Flytrap. Um, n- no X-Ray Specs? Come on. East Coast Comics, still kicking around with their big ad. Uh, kind of wish I could get, uh, you know, some of these uh, some of these comics for what they're what they're going for right there. Uh, comic books for sale. This is J and S Comics of Red Bank, New Jersey. We have the Marvel Super Mart. We have a Mile High Comics ad. We have a house ad. Uh, Throughout recorded history, great men have struggled to better themselves and improve human condition for generations to come. And then there was Gru. Every month he sets us back another century. Gru the Wanderer by Sergio Aragones. Uh, I remember this book being out, and I remember seeing it. It was an epic comics book, so it wasn't like a mainstream Marvel book. But I do remember it being out, and I do remember... uh, Flipping through it every once in a while, nothing really, uh, nothing really, uh, that caught my attention back then. I might have to go track it down and see if I can find anything else. There's a subscription ad, uh, for the Silver Surfer. Uh, on the inside back cover, betcha bite a chip with Chips Ahoy. There are so many chocolate chips and Chips Ahoy, a uh, Chips Ahoy cookie, it's impossible to bite a cookie without biting a chip. See if you can eat your way through the maze biting as few chips as possible and what you're supposed to do is try to make your way through this maze without actually running into a chip uh and i'm sure that quite a number of people ruin this comic book by actually doing that if you got five or more you bit a mouthful and should try again if you got four chips you were chocolate muncher uh if you got three chips not bad but a bit of biting buddy two chips choosy chewer one chip chip skipper and zero chips impossible. We told you. And there's an advertisement. There's Chips Ahoy and Chewy Chips Ahoy from Nabisco. I remember chips eating a lot of Chips Ahoy. A lot of Chips Ahoy when I was a kid. Chewy Chips Ahoy always tasted off, though. I kind of think I preferred Keebler Soft Batch. And in the ensuing years, it was Chips Deluxe from Keebler was kind of the competitive competitor to Chips Ahoy. And I really did like some Chips Deluxe. Could go for some chips deluxe right now, actually. What I can't go for are bonkers, because those things were just disgusting. Uh, but now we've got, instead of those people with like a bunch of bonkers on their heads, we have Bonkers presents the misadventures of Captain Clueless and scared of bounce, scary bouncing ugly balls. And these ugly balls are like these things that, like, you know, they're just balls with ugly, ugly faces on their heads. And Captain uh, Clueless is like a He Man looking guy, but he's got like the Hulk's skin. And he's saying, I'll find them on the cow's tails or inside the fruit of desert cacti or in whirlpools in the heart of the ganglion rainforest. Little does Captain Clueless know ugly balls are free from bonkers chewy candy. I don't get this ad, to be honest with you. And um, They want you to order. You get a free bouncing ugly ball when you send in 10 bonkers outside labels. Okay. 
And that's about it for this episode. Uh, thank you for stopping by. Next episode, we will take a look at the NOM issue 7, an issue that is actually, it's like I said, it's the first issue where Michael Golden isn't going to be penciling. Uh, he will do two pages, but Wayne Van Sant, who would eventually become the regular artist on the, sh- on the, uh, on the comic, would pencil. And it winds up being more of a history lesson in, in true form than than uh, something got the experience of the war. So until then, thank you very much and take care. You have been listening to In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics The Nom. The NOM and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and as this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes, and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which you can find at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com, and may likely be read on the air as I occasionally do email-centric episodes or segments. Thank you for listening and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of the Nam.